Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Good morning. You're listening to Morning Shot on Money FM 89.3. You know, global interest in AI technology has soared since the 2022 debut of the popular chatbot ChatGPT, and that's developed by US company OpenAI. China's SenseTime recently unveiled its answer to ChatGPT with what it calls SenseNova, a slew of new AI-powered products, including a chatbot and image generator joining Alibaba and Baidu in the chatbot race as well. Following these seminal breakthroughs, governments around the world are also in a race to seek regulations that can ensure the safe development of such tools. But with the rate of innovation expanding at breakneck speed, do humans and organisations have the right skills needed to optimise the power of AI? For a deeper analysis, we're joined by Chris Marsden, Professor of Artificial Intelligence, Technology and the Law at Monash University. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. How are you? Good, thanks. Now, we saw an avalanche of uh, AI-powered tools over the past few months alone. What do you make of this? And how would you assess the pace of technological change versus our ability to adapt? Well, I think we have to separate two things, don't we? The the chatbots like ChatGPT and, and the others that have been launched more recently, which are all very exciting and mm-hmm. uh, spectacularly inaccurate uh, against <laughs> the actual pace of AI being used in uh, particularly important sectors such as medicine, uh, where we are seeing genuine breakthroughs by companies like DeepMind. So mm-hmm. we have on the top this, this frenzy of, of interest, of course, around how we might use this uh, individually, as consumers effectively, as citizens, uh, versus some of the, the deeper, more uh, more profound changes that are taking place. But uh, I think it's a very exciting time, obviously, and we obviously have a, you know, there is not enough salt in the world to, uh, uh, to salt down some of the hype that we have around some of the tools. The questions, of course, loom about the impact of such AI tools have, especially on national security and in in your area of uh, education as well. And things are developing at breakneck speed that governments are still trying to figure out how to best regulate the emerging generation of generative AI tools. So in your opinion, what are the key challenges policymakers face in drafting regulations for the technology itself? I think we could maybe break it down into three things. The first is that they don't understand the technology yet, and that's mm-hmm. partly because even a company like OpenAI, mm-hmm. and the clue should be an open, they haven't actually said exactly what they've trained it on uh, or indeed how up-to-date or accurate it is. So that's the first challenge. How do you understand these things? The second is what do you want to achieve as a policy outcome? Uh, do you want to encourage responsible innovation? If so, how responsible do you want it to be? And I know that China and the European Union and the United States have different approaches to that. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is, how do you achieve those aims? And do you want to encourage industry with a carrot or a stick? Or almost all governments actually use a combination of carrots and sticks. So the question is, how do you, um, how do you have that mixed diet for the companies? So which country do you think is uh, going about the right way? I think it's far too early to say anything about, about which country might be definitely going the right way about this. I think the first thing that we have to say is that it's become very obvious that uh, particularly for these uh, uh, tools like uh, the kind of chat GPT mm-hmm. uh, versions of, of AI, they're so inaccurate that there's very, very uh, profound questions about whether they should have been released to the public at a time when they were so inaccurate. Uh, some people have described them as misinformation engines. 
Uh, and that's a real problem. So China is, given its political system, inevitably reacting to this very quickly mm-hmm. uh, because they place a very high premium on stopping uh, what they would see as misinformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other countries have been a little slower, but I think most countries are coming around to the idea that we need some kind of regulations in place to make sure that, uh, that what's being released in, in public is actually fit for purpose. Now, talking about that, on the flip side, there is discussion or debate that artificial intelligence could also be used to combat disinformation. What do you think of that? Well, it is, in fact. And I wrote a study with a colleague from the Free University of Brussels five years ago, uh, seems a long time ago now in AI terms, uh, for the European Parliament, in which we talked about the fact that the big platforms, the big social media platforms, all use AI to combat disinformation. But what's very important about their approach is that they have always previously used AI to feed uh, human uh, intervention to decide what uh, disinformation and misinformation is. Mm. So in other words, the AI was actually priming, uh, giving evidence to humans. And the suggestion by Elon Musk, I I heard you discussing Elon Musk just before our conversation, Mm -hmm. is that he said with Twitter he thinks he can move almost entirely away from human intervention. And I fear that AI is just not remotely that subtle or flexible to be able to tell whether you or I are speaking the truth or being sarcastic or being deliberately uh, disinforming uh, or the context of our conversation. So I think the fear we have is that AI is a useful tool, but to suggest that it can entirely solve the problem is at least heroic. Uh, if not foolish. <laughs> Let's talk a bit more about that. Many of us would have at least tried our hands at ChatGPT. How exactly do you think AI is pushing organisations to transform, perhaps? I think it's really interesting to see it in terms of the, the overall development of AI over a, a really extended period of time. So, of course, we've all been using AI for ages uh, because anybody with an iPhone has been talking to Siri for, you know, mm. almost 15 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if this is able to make chatbots that we have to use uh, whenever we're dealing with utilities or our mobile company or or any of those other frustrating consumer-to-company transactions, if that can become more intuitive and more helpful, that would help all of us. Mm. Uh, We're never going to go back to a period where, you know, 10 years ago you might have been able to speak to a human being. Clearly that's that's an era that's passed. Uh, But if we can make these chatbots actually more useful as opposed to just being incredibly generic, and indeed if they can help us to solve our query faster, then that will actually be, at the margin, a really useful tool. Professor, which industries would you say are not ready for AI tech at this point? Well, I think every industry is ready to experiment with it, uh, at least in private, and to see what they can do with the technology. Uh, I think it's really clear that the industries that most rely on accuracy are going to find it most challenging to use this technology because of the fact that it seems to have been trained on public internet data. And as we know, the internet is full of uh, untruths as well as truths. And so I I would say, but then you'll say that this is just my industry, (laughs) that the law has to be particularly careful about using uh, AI because, you know, if if lawyers are renowned for one thing or or paid for one thing, it's to try to provide accurate advice to their clients. So I think that, you know, if you think that your doctor trusts AI or that your lawyer trusts AI, as opposed to looking at its outputs and being very careful about how they evaluate them, then you may have the wrong lawyer or doctor. As they say, necessity is the mother of all inventions. What kind of capabilities do you think we're lacking right now when it comes to tapping on AI tools to enhance what we do rather than to replace? So 
I think that the two problems that have emerged really clearly are, first of all, the kind of data that it's using, uh, and secondly, the degree to which people are being rewarded for supplying that data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by people being rewarded, I mean journalists, artists, others who are creating the creative product, which is now being reused by AI. Um, obviously, we're in a radio discussion, so I won't mm-hmm. talk too much about <laughs> the individual artistical, graphical uh, representations, but we're all aware that you can, you can create a stock photo using AI, but that's trained on humans. So that's a big issue. And then the issue about the data is, is about to what extent is our personal data being used by these AI training models. And the truth is we don't know, uh, but I know that many of the European governments are now looking at this very, very closely as well as uh, uh, the Chinese government. So how far do you think this will go in transforming more traditional structured organisations, perhaps like a university? Well, I think the universities have already been really transformed, of course, by the pandemic. And and it's really important to step back and to realise that we're living at a moment in time when uh, humans are becoming much more expensive uh, because of inflation. That's obviously a global phenomenon and supply chain issues post-pandemic. So a lot of people are seizing on AI as a kind of short-term fix to replacing our uh, skilled human workforce with, with AI. And that won't work. But... I mean, simply because the AI isn't ready. But longer term, I think that it could really help us to avoid some of the more boring, tedious, repetitive tasks that we have to undertake. Uh, and, and that's actually my hope for AI, that the spectacular, you know, AI will become some kind of artificial general intelligence is, is decades away. But actually stopping us having to repeat some of the more tedious tasks, like I say, trying to talk to your utility company and explain mm-hmm. that you're moving house. If that could be done uh, more seamlessly and more accurately, that's actually a, a really helpful contribution to society. I know it's not as exciting as killer robots, but it's genuinely a, a really useful thing that could happen. Do you think full AI integration will be challenging? Uh, it depends how full it is, of course. Um, and I think another aspect of, of, of where we sit currently is, is obviously this terrible war uh, happening on uh, uh, on the territory of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And we see on, on both sides the attempts to use AI uh, to help to guide the war, whether that be through the use of drones uh, and other technologies. And, and clearly the area where we're going to see the fastest advances in AI, simply because of the most resources being thrown at it, is, is actually in, in warfare, mm-hmm. uh, where we're going to see extraordinary advances taking place. Uh, the degree to which that is managed, again, you know, people tend to forget, warfare, of course, operates within a regulatory framework, within an international legal framework. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really challenging. All right. Thank you very much for speaking with us and for sharing your perspective this morning. Chris Marsden, Professor of Artificial Intelligence, Technology and the Law at Monash University. Thank you. Thank you very much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.